Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. It's official. Manchester City are going back to Wembley and next month they'll have the chance to defend a major trophy for the first time in the club's history. But let's not pretend that breaking that record with back-to-back League Cups is top of Pep Guardiola's agenda. Not when his side is still only four points off the top of the Premier League table and on a mission to hunt down leaders Liverpool. We can't promise that either will happen, but we know that City have never had a better chance. One thing we can guarantee, though, is that the new Huddersfield manager is not in the studio and there's no need to send a reporter over to find out either. On tonight's show, we'll be analysing City's displays in wins over Huddersfield and Burton Albion, while we'll also be looking more in-depth at Gabriel Jesus. Once again, his family has had to leave Manchester and we'll be assessing the impact that it had on him last time they were forced to return to Brazil. We'll look ahead to the FA Cup tie with Burnley and the Premier League match with Newcastle too. So we better crack on. I'm your host, Sam Roscoe, and I'm joined by ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Hello. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. All right, Sam. Fellas, wonderful to have you both on the Blue Moon podcast once again. It has been a bit of a crazy week, really, hasn't it? Huddersfield was, you know, a bit slow to start with, but then the second half did the job, and then Burton... Where do we go with that? Well, what do you say about Burton? Wasn't as cold as we thought. Wasn't it? No, I, I, thought I was all right. I didn't think it was too bad. <laughs> Just looking at the the title race, I mentioned it there in the, in the opener that that you know Pep's still looking to to chase down Liverpool. Um, the gap has opened and closed. It's opened and closed again. Do you think this sort of game of, of cat and mouse is is going to go on for a little bit more before we sort of you know? see a either Liverpool break away or, or City catch them? Yeah, I think it'll be, yeah, it's going to go on for a little bit longer now. Although, you know, there's Arsenal and Chelsea coming up in the next few weeks, so that'll be that'll be interesting. I think they, um, I think City are well set to defend it, to be honest. The four, four points at this stage is nothing. Um, they've got the experience of going all the way, um, which will stand them in good stead. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure they're overly unhappy about having to chase, actually. He's constantly said he'd obviously I'd rather be in Klotz's position, but mm. I don't know. It's you, There's one team you wouldn't you don't want on your tail, and it's City who seem to win without playing particularly well every week. Well, the pressure was on City, Jonathan. How do you think they performed? Um, not great, actually. Didn't think it was. I didn't think it was one of the best performances of the season. Was it I one think, of them you could tell the pressure was on? You think? No, I don't think it was anything to do with pressure. I just think it was such a, a straightforward fixture in terms of Huddersfield, uh, the worst team in the Premier League. Uh, they're in a mess. They lost the manager. They haven't got a striker. Who, who? I mean, that miss at the end from Mounier just sums up how bad their strikers are. He was two yards out, and he still managed to hit the corner flag. Shinned it, didn't he? Oh, it was awful. Um, so I just thought it was a little bit, a little bit too easy. Um, Huddersfield sat back; it wasn't a great pitch. City were a little bit sloppy with some of the passing. Um, got a bit of a rollick in at half time. Came out and, and finished the job. Um, I mean, it, I think I think the difference between City and Liverpool at the moment is City are winning by big margins, and Liverpool are sc- scraping. You know, they've got they've had a lot of. Sing- Scra- scraping or the sign of champions. Is, that's true. Is two yeah, ways yeah, of yeah. It. I mean, they're getting the job done, and that's all that matters, isn't it? It doesn't. It doesn't matter about whether you win three 0 or one 0 as long as you get three points. The sign, no, the sign of champions is winning when you're not playing well, not kind of well ragging your way yeah. to results every week. <laughs> you know, having seen the absolute state 
of Liverpool's goals. Is it a worry, or do you think that luck's going to run out? Will that bubble burst anytime soon? I don't know. I don't think because let's they've had some luck this season. Mm, I don't think luck runs out or evens itself out or anything like that. I just think kind of fine the winning games, but I don't think uh, City will be too bothered about that at the moment. It's just they beat Crystal Palace at home. You would expect them to beat Crystal Palace at home. Um, obviously, you know. There was a result last month at the Etihad, but it's it's the bigger games. It's the it's the United game next month mm. that kind of. I mean, Pep was already asked about it last week. People are, <laughs> you know, five weeks before the match, he got asked about it. So that would be that would be the really bi- the huge one. I mean, if they can kind of stay in touch until then, and United can get a result, then it's all of a sudden it's one point going into March, and it's as if you know. Mm. Um, looking at Raheem Sterling. Uh, at Huddersfield, they was they were booing, they were booing Raheem Sterling. Is it ever going to go away? That well, I can't. I don't think I can answer that because I can't explain why it's why he's being booed now. So I don't know why they would boo him in the future. So I, it's bizarre. Um, and also, I mean, he was being booed before the penalty incident, and it's so and maybe the boos took on a, a bit more after that because obviously the referee didn't give it. Mm. Um, but I think, I mean, everyone in the ground could see. I didn't need to look at the replay to see that was a, just an obvious, obvious penalty. Any any thoughts on how it wasn't given a penalty, Jack? Um, reputation, I think. Do you think he's got you know a he has got undeserved a, he, reputation? For I think he's, I think he's undeserved. Yeah, but I think he does have a reputation. Um, City are acutely aware of it. Have. Um, Compiled a number of incidents where he should have should have been awarded a penalty this season alone. But then a, a dossier, I think it was called a the, dossier. Is the bu- yeah, is the buzzword yeah. in football at the minute. I th- yeah, I think I, w- I think I would have used that word as well. Yeah. To be fair, <laughs> um, <laughs> but then that's also mitigated by the the Shakhtar pen. Yeah, but that no, wasn't yeah, a, that, that wasn't, wasn't a dive, dive, was it? I know, but pe- yeah, but people can point to that. Oh, I, I don't know. Think, just, I don't think you can. I think that's very unfair. I think people will though. He should have told the ref that he tripped and it wasn't a penalty. He should have been. That's, well, that's I mean, the really, argument, really, Sam, there is an argument that the, the result should have been reversed because it was so unfortunate. <laughs> but there we go. But he was he was sprawled on the floor and the referee was pointing to the spot. Well, you know, I don't think it was. It was. It was. That was as crazy as the one at Huddersfield. It was just re- two ridiculous decisions, weren't mm. it? I mean, the the booing is a bit is a bit strange, and I mean, it's mm. happened in the past, hasn't it? Where for some reason, the best players in England for the national team seem to get booed everywhere they go, up and down the country. Um, you think but, it's just purely because <clears throat> they don't play for the opposition? You know, they don't people that are booing it's because they don't play for their team, and they're the best players. No, I think it go, partly goes back to is the way he left Liverpool. Yeah, but why should Huddersfield Town fans care about that? Because he's portrayed, he was portrayed as a. As, as money hungry, that that was the reason behind his decision to move, and and that's that's seen as a, a, a characteristic that <clears throat> is not wanted in football. Mm. It's just, um, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not offering a, you know, I'm just, this is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. just suggestions. Yeah. I mean, people would argue that it's, I mean, you talked about this with mm. loads of times the media coverage, but people would argue it's fueled by the media coverage and. Obviously, the newspaper that I write for is one of the ones that are um, criticised for that. But I would also say there is a hell of a lot of positive coverage about Raheem Sterling that people tend to overlook and turn a blind eye to because it's easier to criticise than it is to say, oh, actually, it's good that that's been brought to the wider attention. He tweeted after the game that Huddersfield are a difficult side and he doesn't care about the booze. Just what does that say about uh, his his mentality? Well, uh, I spoke to him last year about about this, about going around the grounds, being booed and stuff like that. And he and he he's very honestly said, "I'm not just doesn't doesn't bother me. In in fact, it drives me on sometimes to go and stick it in a net and and show and shove it to them. Is that the right? Is that an expression? That's shove not that, it. is it? Shove it. Yeah." <laughs> So it, yeah, I think it's counter it's counterproductive. I just think I, I think it I think it looks bad 
on the Premier League in the current climate when, you know, it's not, it's a bit of an unhealthy social problem at the moment. And booing, mm. booing a young black player, it's just, yeah. it's just not a great thing, is it? No. Um, let's move on. Danilo's goal was the 100th this season for, for Manchester City at this rate. They're going to be flying past last season's total, aren't they? Yeah, I'm sorry, I had um, Schindler's miss in my head <laughs> while you were asking the question and couldn't get that out. Um, yeah, a certain David Mooney won quite a lot of money, didn't he, last year? I'm so, led to believe so. It also took him a while to, to get know? said winnings because his account was closed because of it. <sighs> just a team that score, score a lot of goals, don't they? And it's they spread around quite a lot, which is a good thing. Sane scoring more goals, I think, this season. Sterling dropped off, didn't he, and then kind of um, got back in, in amongst it. And Jesus, Gabriel Jesus yeah. as well. He's just absolutely flying at the minute. We're going to come on to Gabriel Jesus a, a little bit later, but just looking at Danilo's goal, you know, just pretty bizarre, isn't it? Really, it wasn't going in until it hit Christopher Schindler. Schindler's gift. Schindler's gift. Yeah, should have thought of that. Really, Schindler's gift. Yeah. Oh, well, I was sat next to a Brazilian journalist, and um, we were joking before the game about how he. Uh, Likes to cut in on, when he's playing left back, cutting on his right foot and shoot constantly. And um, just as the ball went out to him, he because it's quite a tight press box at Huddersfield, and he get I, he gave me a little elbow, and uh, and lo and behold, there it was. <laughs> and then um, I was I was sat next to John, I got a full elbow. <laughs> afterwards. How do you think he's doing with a bit of a, a running the team at the minute, Dinlo? Good. I think he's doing really well actually. Um, and I think he's I think he's offering offering real. Challenge to Kyle Walker, um, you know. I think mm. he was. There was a bit. He was punished for his mistake against Palace. A poor, poor game. Gave away the penalty. Didn't play the next couple of games. Dinolo came in, did well. Played against Liverpool. Um, I think City have got a, a problem at left back at the moment without Mendy. I don't think Delph and Zinchenko are playing anywhere near what they were doing last season. Um, so I think Danilo's rise is is uh, is ideal for Pep actually I'm staggered at how quickly or how drastically Zinchenko has regressed he's been really really poor in the last couple of months I, thought I mean he was, he was the Burton on yeah he's really he was the worst to... player on the pitch yeah he, I, could, I, I was astounded couldn't believe it but Danilo we'd all kind of written Danilo off a little bit I think um, that he was just a bit of an athlete but he's I think he's played really well um, when he's been called upon the last kind of month or so. Good as well to, you know, it's nice to see that um, whilst Walker's had a, a huge blip that someone can come in and, and you know, raise the bar again um, in his absence. Um, Riyad Mahrez, speaking of absences, wasn't in the squad at all for the Huddersfield game. What do you make of that? Interesting, yeah. Um, File that under interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, his biggest problem is Sterling and Sane. They're playing so well; um, they're almost undroppable, and they know the system so well. And I, I do think sometimes Mares, you know, he likes to cut inside um, and shoot. I mean, he can go either way, but sometimes I think he slows it down a little bit. And I just think they look. They look better when they've got Sterling and Sane in the team, and it's up to him to to raise himself up to their standards. That, it's an interesting point to raise on the transfer market as well, in that Mares <clears throat> is the record signing, but can't dislodge players they signed for forty and fifty million. Um, when they did that big business a few years ago, they now can't find players that would squeeze them out of the eleven, which makes it very difficult to kind of where. Where do you go? You can't, you're going to have to spend 90, 100 million to go and try and get better players than Sane and Sterling at the moment, which means that it's very difficult. You're almost signing backups, aren't you? Yeah. But they've, but they've now spent 60 million quid on a backup. How did the 60 million pound backup do at Burton, in, in your opinion? Well, it was a weird game and it was a nothing game. Um, it was just a game of experimentation and I thought he was probably the city's liveliest attacker. He had a couple of bright moments in the first half and teed up the first, or well, teed up the only goal. 
Um, he did okay. It was Burton. It was a game that wasn't played at 100 miles an hour. There was a couple of times he he, um, he ducked out of tackles and, and, it, and it's exactly the right thing to do in a game like that. So, oh, Well, he does that on a Saturday afternoon. He does. He does, yeah. That's true. But he, the most important thing was to get it through through without any injuries and and everyone getting a, getting a run out and getting some experience for the young lads. What um, what did you make of the the young players? Who were the standout youngsters for you? Well, I think Garcia has been sensational. Mm. Um, right, you he, think he's only seventeen as well? No, he was not. he was eighteen on the day of the first leg. Am so I right in thinking he's eighteen as well? <laughs> he's only yeah, so he's you know he's only eighteen two weeks ago. He's been great. I actually thought Wednesday night was probably. He was better in the game at Leicester and the first leg, uh, but it was a really, it was interesting to watch him against a real physical striker in mm. Liam Boyce. It was a different, um, a different task for him, and he came through it, um, and he was he was impressive again. I just that I mean, the game at Leicester was just unbelievable, wasn't he? Um, it's it's when he's got the ball at his feet, which he's. A couple of times at Burton, he, he, he just brought the ball out of, the, out of defence, beat a couple of players and laid it off simple, or he could spray a 40-yard pass out to the wing. He's, he's, he's got it all. Um, I think he looks a little bit frail. Not frail is probably a bit too strong a word. <laughs> he looks a little bit... He's not, you know, particularly when he's stood next to Sandler, he looks a, a lot smaller. Um, he's not the fastest either. But so far, it's not been a problem. Well, was it, someone was saying, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone mentioned there'll maybe be a good defensive midfielder in the future. I just, I can't see that. I think he's just as a out and out pound for pound centre half. He looks the business, uh, and he can pass the ball. I mean, he's probably not as good with his feet as Sandler is. I thought Sandler. No, was, I think he. I think he's I mean, he's, but his pass, his pass completion on Wednesday was was great. Um, but I just think as an actual genuine defender, he's just. And it's astonishing to watch someone that young to be that composed and mm. reads the game, communicate really well. like he does as well. Let's get him out on loan. That's what well, that's what I mean. They might. Well, it is young for a centre back, isn't it? Eighteen. You, I mean, you're talking even four years mm. before you can. But the, think about him being a first team regular. The, th- the thinking about what to do with him next season now, so they, d- they don't know whether he's going to kind of form. Girona. Hey, Girona. Um, it's the obvious option, isn't it? Yeah, but is he going to get the games at Girona? You'd almost probably kind of maybe want him to go into the Championship, which is a completely different league to mm. Premier League and La Liga. Um, I don't know, but it might be that he's still he's kind of fourth or fifth choice centre half next year. Um, but it depends well, what they what they think. Tolton as well, isn't there? That that's still got to come back. Could he could he go to the Eredivisie? Yeah, is that in Holland? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sandler also looked pretty decent, didn't he? Steady and, yeah. and impressive, really. Very good. Uh, made that one mess up in the second half, um, and it knocked him a little bit. But I thought he was, yeah, very good. Um, Nemetra I like a lot. I've seen him a couple of times. He's, you know, he's got, a, he's, a, he's very. Um, Covers a lot of a lot of the pitch. He's so he's so fit. He's still massive as well. Isn't he? Yeah, he's. Um, Perveda. I don't think he did anything wrong. I thought he was good. Um, I thought Perveda actually had a really good game. Quietly, in that you probably would have wanted him staying wide and going at the fullback a little bit more. But I don't know whether it was the way the game was played or he was a little bit nervous. But he kept coming for mm. coming looking for the ball and kind of linked up play with midfield. Uh, but he did that. I thought he did that brilliantly. I thought he was really, really good. But with a few more, I mean, he's not. This is the problem. He's not going to get that chance. He's not going to get a chance for a long, long time now. But if you give him a couple of games, kind of maybe at the start of the season in the League Cup, and he would have got a few under his belt, then maybe he would have been been a bit more confident to have a go at the have a go at the um, the right back. And also, it would have been nice to him, to see him play on the right and cutting in, which I think. Uh, he would prefer Murich. I think is is. I was going to say brilliant. he had a he he's had just... a really good game, didn't he? Quite you know, uh, 
quiet good game if you like um, decent saves and leaving his line as well looked yeah. really good didn't he he did uh, you know that pitch was it was it was uh, testing it was bobbly it was it was freezing in the second half um, and he was still prepared to take it take you know take back passes mm. and we had that one that rolled under his foot in the first <laughs> half but you know he was he was out quickly a couple of times um, and it, you know I think keep keepers who don't. Uh, I know it's a stupid thing to say in this, but when keepers don't concede it. goals, you know that's that's a, a big thing, isn't it? And just, he doesn't concede goals. Well, that's one goal. It's a stupid thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's one goal conceded in five professional games for City, and in, and, the, and in the game he did concede, he saved two pens. Yeah, I just three pens. Did he save two or three? I can't remember. I think you know. I think he saved two and one went over. Or yeah, why? that's right. Yeah. The the one in the second half when. I think I think, and I'll have to say this. I'm sorry. Eric Garcia gave him a little bit, gave him a back pass that was a little bit too quick, and he was on his goal line, and he just went, "I'll stop this dead and just carry on on that pitch." It was just amazing. I, mm. His footwork's incredible, and his reading of the game is pretty damn good for again for someone so young. I mean, you kind of see him racing out, and he gets himself into a little bit of what looked like hairy situations. But I don't think he's had a major problem. I mean, it looks like it might develop, but it never kind of happens. Yeah, that one. It? He had that bad one at Oxford where he came for a, a long throwing and was nowhere near it. But that was his first game, hmm. and he—I don't think he touched the ball. And he, he was like, "I need, I need, I need to, to do touch something." It. Yeah. <laughs> so would you would you have him as City second choice next yeah, season? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, some of the senior players got a bit of a run out as well. Aguero and De Bruyne—they were brought off. Quite quickly, though, we were you surprised that they started. Um, I was surprised Aguero started. I'm not sure how, how happy he was about it, uh, especially when he got a couple of uh, couple of kicks in the first mm. half. I wonder whether they'd kind of they'd seen the benefit that uh, Jesus has had, which is getting goals in these kind of games. Mm. And I didn't realise until I was looking at the stats when I was writing a report last night that Aguero has only scored twice since November. Now I know he's had an injury but he's played a few games in that time he's only scored two goals so maybe you know it was quite a tidy finish um, yeah it was first time wasn't yeah, 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 it? he made, yeah, cut the uh, run back didn't he you know so the might kind of I don't know whether he needs doing good but at least he's he's got another goal hasn't he Benjamin Mendy came off the bench what was he like ran about didn't he ran about got to the byline a couple of times <laughs> How went, much? Went how, on Twitter afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run about a bit, tweeted. See you later. How much has he been missed these last few months? Defensively, not a lot. I don't think um, going forward he has. But then, if he plays, then it's a bit of a conundrum with Sane, isn't it? Um, so being, oh, I don't know what they're going to do now because it was kind of last or when he was playing. It was when he was properly fit. Like, oh, what do they do when Sane's about? And you can't, Sane's undroppable. So I'm not really sure how they get around that. Well, I just think, uh, I don't think Delph had a good game against Burton. And it was his first start, I think it's six games since he got sent off. And he looked very keen to try and impress. And I don't think he did. Um, I think he just needs to go back to what he was doing last season, which was. Who's this, Fabian Delph? Delph. You're saying that Fabian Delph needs to get back to the basics? <laughs> I am. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, he was learning the position, and I think he's. And I think he's. He's just. I, I don't know. It's just not gone right for him this year. I think he's maybe a bit overly overconfident and just. Just keep it simple. Well, time to move on then. Uh, after the first leg of the League Cup semi-final, Gabriel Jesus told reporters that he wished his family would have been able to stay in the UK. Last week, the striker posted an Instagram story with a not-so-subtle message about how much he missed those close to them after they'd returned to Brazil when their visas had expired. It's now two years since Jesus arrived at City and David Mooney has been looking at how he settled in.
There was much excitement surrounding Gabriel Jesus' arrival in January 2016. Said he had signed the teenage striker the previous summer, but he'd finished the Brazilian season with Palmeiras before joining up with his new team. When he was eventually cleared to play, he almost made an immediate impact on his debut. As City blogger Richard Burns explains. He comes on at the end against Tottenham, and so we thought, backed himself, the winning goal. It was absolute dream stuff, here and off celebrating. The fans were going crazy in the stands. And a new hero was born until uh, until you saw the linesman's flag was up and the referee had ruled it out. Um, he had a very similar moment against United in the uh, in the derby at the Etihad when he scored in the last minute, ran off celebrating. We all fell for it again, <laughs> and then ruled out again, denying us a last-minute winner against in, in the derby. But as Richard says, for the second half of that campaign, the striker took to the Premier League like a duck to water. It started banging in goals, and once he got his first one, it was like he was like a magnet to the ball in the box, and he was he was an absolute revelation. And the biggest compliment you can pay Jesus in that period was that he was keeping Sergio Aguero out of the team. Sergio Aguero was one of the best strikers that the uh, the Premier League ever seen. So. What great compliment can you pay to a, a young kid? That young kid has fluctuated in form over the course of his two years at City. At times he's been irresistible, while at others he's just not been able to get his foot on the ball. As the two-year anniversary of the striker's arrival to the Etihad approached, I asked manager Pep Guardiola about his development. It's not easy for him playing a position like uh, like Sergio, for the quality, for the legend, for that club. You know, Sometimes clubs play with two strikers, we play with one. And, but there are many games, so it is young. It's the same today as a birthday from Leroy, 23. He has, I think, 21, 22, Raheem the same. So we are a, a young, young striker. That it's amazing for our future. The manager added that behind closed doors, Jesus' attitude was very good. The training session every game it was like the last one in, in his life. And that is the best way to, to be willing no? to, to improve. The position he plays in the smaller spaces, he has to be the right tempo, the right quality, the right movement, not movement for itself. Movement is the right tempo, the right time. And, and I think he's going to improve. But while he's been on a huge goal-scoring spell in recent weeks, there have to be concerns about how the striker is feeling in Manchester. Journalist with One Football, Dan Burke, describes one social media post Jesus has made recently. My heart ached for him when I saw that Instagram story he did last week where he was basically panning across photos of his family with... Uh, I think it was lonely by Akon playing in the background. It's a bit corny, of course, but he's clearly someone with a really strong bond with his family and them not being around really affects him, which is something I think we can all relate to. Richard Burns says there was nothing subtle about the message Jesus was sending out. He knows what he's doing with something like that. He knows the message that he's sending to all of his Instagram followers. It's quite sad and I, I felt desperately sorry for him and he needs a, a lot of support around him at the moment, I think. Not just, you know, from a selfish point of view, we want to keep him informed, but uh, more importantly, there's a young man at the bottom of that that's clearly hurting. This isn't a new situation for the striker either. I said earlier in this feature that Jesus' form has been up and down in his two years at City. Dan Burke explains more about the timings. The slightly worrying thing is I remember there was a period around the middle of last season where he suffered a real dip in form after his family went back to Brazil. Um, Aguero started the season quite slowly last year and he was just getting going at the point that Jesus' goals dried up all of a sudden. Uh, I just really hope that doesn't happen again this time. It's very easy to criticise players for everything that happens on the pitch without taking into account what's going on in their personal life. It's something that Guardiola thinks we should make more of an allowance for. Normally when we talk about that, it's about the performance of the players, the performance of the team, or how is this player doing. But we don't know in the private life, and the private life affects a lot in the performance, and the, you know, for a short or medium time. So that is normal. When we are happy in our lives, we are better in our jobs. The players are the same. Sometimes, myself in the first one, we judge the players. Sometimes really don't know what happened in the private life. It is a big influence. But the manager thinks that this time, Jesus is better suited to coping than the last time he was left alone in Manchester. They have to handle that situation. Of course, he's not alone. He has friends, own friends. I think he has an incredible relation with the special Brazilian guys like Danilo, Fernandinho, Eddie, Bernardo, many, many players here. So I think he's, he will not be a problem for, for, the, for the next time. Guardiola also believes that City are better equipped to help the striker than they were last time. We're an incredible club. Like they, they try to take care of all of us, all the people who's working in this organisation. But 
Um, the private lab is a private lab. If they need something, we are there. The club is there to help, but of course, you cannot substitute the mother or the, you know, the family when cannot be there. It's, it's difficult. The manager was speaking before Jesus posted those videos to his Instagram feed. While City will be doing everything they can to keep the striker happy, they won't have been encouraged by what they saw. There are also some sections of City's support who are yet to be impressed by the forward in his two years at the Etihad, and he's been in for some heavy criticism at times. Sometimes it's easy to forget that the striker is still only 21 and living a long way from home. I'm Carlo Nash, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Get your hands on an exclusive Blue Moon podcast badge, bottle opener or mug by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. So David Mooney looking at how Gabriel Jesus has, has settled in. How do you how do you think he's done so far during his time at, at Manchester City? Well, it's been a bit up and down. Um, obviously, sensational start. And everyone was thinking, you know, perhaps uh, he's going to force Aguero out of the team. Um, and he, well, he did, didn't he, for the first couple of months, and then, um, and yeah, it's obviously second season was a bit tougher. I think it was probably, you know, he's only he's only young, and I think it, it was probably quite hard being in Manchester for his first winter and realizing how <laughs> miserable and gloomy. Great. Yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, he's had a couple of injuries. And what, and what about winter as well? Hey. Um, so yeah, it's been. It, it, it's been a bit up and down. You mentioned there, you know, him and Aguero and how, you know, how, how it, when he first started, he sort of nudged him out of the side. How much, you know, is it a credit to, to Jesus how much Aguero has improved and and how much he's had to improve to, to keep him out of the team? Uh, yeah, but I also think that's just the nature of competitive sport, that if you've got someone that, the manager likes, then you're going to raise your game. I don't think there was anything particularly to do with what Jesus was doing. I think it was just that there was an obstacle in Aguero's way that he had to overcome. Um, it would Guardiola said for the first, I think for the first time ever, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus was his bona fide number one for the, that time when he, you know, when Aguero wasn't picked for mm. was it the Bournemouth game. When Jesus got injured, was it a couple? Was it before then? I can't remember. There was, was, he a, there was a spell, wasn't it? The first season. Yeah, yeah. It was he's never actually. Injured, he's yeah. never said that. Before. He's never. I don't. Well, I can't remember him ever saying that before and admitting that, which was quite a big admission. Um, he's got. I think Jesus is a decent foil for Aguero. It's just the, the goal scoring is the problem. He, he's a poacher, but you won't see him score many goals. Kind of. Outside the six-yard box, almost, mm. um, which is an element to Aguero's game that is uh, far better and far more polished. Um, and I also, to be honest, I also think Aguero covers more ground than Jesus. I, I think his harrying of defenders is actually uh, more competent. Um, so I can't, I, I can't envisage him dislodging Aguero now. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that he did a couple of years ago, but Aguero definitely did need some form of competition because he basically had none, did he? He'd walked into that team for how how many years, mm. and he'd kind of plateaued slightly. Which so it served its purpose getting someone in to act as a as a number two in a bit of competition. What do you make of the argument that he's inconsistent and doesn't always affect games how Guardiola would like a striker to do so? Well, I think that's fair at the moment. Um, you know, he's, he's the first half of this season, he, it was tough. But I think that's partly on the back of the World Cup. Obviously, he didn't score any goals with Brazil. Mm. And, and his confidence had gone. It was um, the, it was re- it's really important, actually, because I don't think it gets mentioned enough, the World Cup, and the impact it had on you know it had on him. Because going into that World Cup, the, the Brazil team was sort of based around him and... His sort of future, and he was the poster boy for Brazil, wasn't he? I mean, you look at the um, the stories that were going round about four years prior to that. He was the one painting the the murals in in the streets of um, 
you know, in the in the favelas, and then all of a sudden, he's the one having his face face splashed across the walls in the in the favelas. That's what it was all about. That that build up into the World Cup, and then yeah, and I think it was didn't a, work out for him. There was a clamor for Firmino to take his place halfway through the tournament, and they they resisted that, and Gabriel continued to not score. So uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's true. But you go back to that. Those first couple of months, you know, he was, was absolutely electric. Him, Sterling, and Sane. You go back to those two games away at West Ham; yeah. those three absolutely destroyed <laughs> them. It was, and, and they all look so good together. Um, and I think he's just lost his way a little bit recently. And um, obviously, those goals against Burton, he, he he's, he's kick-started him back into a bit of form now. So I think the World Cup, he was undone by his own versatility a little bit because he was shunting out on the left wing a couple of times. Um, which obviously is not his position, but he was doing a job. I can't remember what game it was, but they were under the cosh quite a lot, and he had a lot of defending to do on the left hand side of midfield. Uh, it was, I think, it must have been one of the one of the knockout games, and he got quite heavily criticised after that game. It's like, well, yeah, if you have a, if you actually have a look at what he's contributed to the team, he's done he's done quite a lot, but he's not he's not pitched in with the goal. And Firmino, I think Firmino might have scored that day, so the the comparisons were were easy. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's hard for a striker when you're playing three up top if you're not scoring goals like he wasn't. The emphasis is all all on you, isn't it? And he is quite um, he's quite a sensitive sensitive guy, uh, and criticism does hurt him quite a lot. And he. Going back to his family, he needs kind of people around well, him. And I was going to come on to this, but he's how, just a young lad, isn't he? How much do you think that that off the pitch pressure plays on him? Like you know, like you say, his, his family can't be with him in, in Manchester. I think that's huge. But we were talking about Sterling before about you know how he kind of reacts well to the booing and it spurs him on now. Raheem Sterling a couple of years ago was kind of crestfallen by people abusing him and being aggressive to him in the crowd and his performance has suffered from that but as he's got older and as he's played more games he's managed to channel that in a positive way now you would expect Gabriel Jesus to do exactly the same as he as he gets older because he's still kind of you know 21 mm. he's, st- he's got nothing, loads of, yeah absolutely yeah. nothing it's just because he's been around a couple of years so you expect yeah. him to be a completely seasoned yeah, professional true um one thing is for sure, he's in, a, he's in a very good vein of form at the minute, and fingers crossed that continues with the upcoming matches. Got a couple of games to preview. Uh, the FA Cup, fourth round, City are at home against Burnley, and then on Tuesday night it's back to Premier League action against Newcastle. I know that we should be talking about the uh, the coming games, but a City are a bit of a disadvantage in the title race with this sort of fixture congestion now. Liverpool have got the weekend off after going out, and, and City have got a a tough-ish sort of game at home against Burnley could, could have been easier. Are they at a disadvantage? Definitely, definitely not. Because if they keep winning games, then they're not going to they're not going to care, and they've got a decent sized squad to cope and rotate. Um, I think they'd far rather keep winning the games rather than have the the week off. Because um, you get the rhythm's been talked about mm. quite a lot in the last couple of weeks, and they they want to continue with the, with the rhythm, and you would expect them to. Dispatch of Burnley, who are going to make quite a lot, quite a few changes by the sound of it, from what Deitch was saying. Um, you know, fifth round, fifth round of the cup, last sixteen of the Champions League, final of the Carabao Cup. I think they would have bit your hand off for that at the start of the season. How much does does Guardiola want to win the FA Cup? I mean, given how they lost to to Wigan last year as well. How? Um... I mean, he he wants to win it, but it's not the priority. Whereas, I was going to say where I would it's say difficult. It's difficult, isn't it, when it comes to asking about what the priority is? Because you know, going into this weekend's match, clearly the FA Cup's the priority. But in the grand scheme of things, <sighs> well, I, I think one of the other problems with the FA Cup is that once you get past, um, I think it's once you get past this game, then you start rescheduling fixtures, yeah. and they've already obviously got the. The the League Cup final, so that one's rescheduled. Uh, fifth round probably is going to going to get moved. I think sixth round day I think is the same day as the Manchester derby. 
um, and there's actually not enough windows in the in the season to fit these games in because you can't you're not allowed to play the same time as the Champions League game and of course City could be in the Champions League quarterfinals <laughs> semi-finals so I think that's possibly one of the things that will be on Pep's mind in that you know they could have they could have to reschedule four games and just I think there's maybe one or two windows where they can play these games and they're going to end up you know if they start going far in these competitions they could they're going to be playing some games 48 hours after but then yeah. it's all the more reason to continue with the kids isn't it it it, it, is, it specific- is but when you get to the when you start getting to april and may it's champions league premier league champions league premier league champions league premier league and if you take those premier league games out they become uh, yeah I suppose they become FA Cups. You can play the kids in the FA Cup games, but at some point he puts his strongest teams in the Premier League games. And if you if you're playing th- three three games in in five days or something like that, which is which is possible, he's going to want all his senior players in those games. Looking at you know we're mentioning younger players here. Looking at the squad, you've said that Dice has hinted about rotation. You think City will? Rotate with one eye on on the Premier League title race. I, I honestly don't see any reason why Murić, Garcia, Sandler, Foden should shouldn't play on Saturday. I think they should be given another chance. Uh, said there you go. There's two games on the trot. Go and show what what you can do. Um, and he'll probably want to rest most of his most of his big guns for for Tuesday. De Bruyne, I, De Bruyne would be interesting. I don't know whether he'll play Saturday because he talks about wanting to rhythm and getting back to a game every three days. But then that would be three in a week, wouldn't? Well, three in kind of six days, I suppose. So I don't think he'll play. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't see any reason why these youngsters shouldn't be shouldn't be playing. Mm. They're there on merit, so, aren't they? Well, you know? yeah, I mean, be, they would be there if they were in the squad. They'd be they'd be there on merit. Yeah, we're talking about kind of. Garcia before Garcia is obviously good enough to to play in a game like that against um, a changed yeah, Burnley team. And well, well Foden, actually, Foden's someone like Ashley, Bar- Ashley Barnes is another step up, isn't it? In, in, in coming up against a striker, that's a real yeah. It's a different to a League One striker. I mean, the only thing you would you've kind of got to marry that then with what Guardiola was saying after the Burton game was reaching finals is a really really good habit to get in. So. <clears throat> Yeah, it's all well and good saying prioritise whatever, but he also un- understands or plays on the historical element of City not um, not being major trophy winners and not getting to many finals and whatever. And he wants to change that, and he wants to be the man that does change that. So he, des- he is. I think he's desperate to get to these finals because he just he's calling it a habit. He wants that yeah. to be ingrained in the in the club. Focusing on on the league, City go first this coming midweek. How much of an advantage is that to play first and have the opportunity to close the gap to Liverpool to just one point? Well, this is the way it's going to go now for the rest of the season, isn't it? Mm. That you know where the TV schedules are going to be such that one team will play first and the other will will, will play last. And I mean, so far it's not had an impact. Um. Yeah, if you get the three points, then it's a and it's an advantage. I mean, it used to be that if you dropped the three points, then it gave an opportunity to the team playing afterwards. But that the 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 win ratios are such now that that doesn't really count, does it? That's irrelevant. So if you get if you if you play first, I think that's an advantage. Yeah, City have won fifteen of their last sixteen Premier League games against Newcastle and have lost just one of their last twenty four against them in all competitions. They just seem to be one of those teams that, that City don't really have too many problems against. Is it going to be as, you know, as black and white as it as it is on, Good. on Tuesday black night? Good, black and white, I like mm. it. That's pre mm. right? Um <laughs> I think it'd be tight on Tuesday. I think it'd be a tight, tighter game than people are um, envisaging. Rondon's playing quite well, isn't he? I like Rondon. I think he's a good player. So, you know... Have they got someone that can really go toe to toe with him and deal with him aerially? Otamendi, you would say, but then Otamendi's kind of out of favour a little bit. So he might he might cause them a few problems. Um, 
But the thing is, it, there's not, they've not got enough in midfield, have they, to really hurt City, I don't think. We've well, got a shelver, he, he can hurt everybody. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Paul Pogba's still kind of taking lumps out of his leg, isn't he? Um, time for our charity bet, and Richard Burns correctly predicted City's 3-0 win at Huddersfield, so we've now raised 600 and £38 for the Christie with our charity bet with William Hill. We are all getting a £10 correct score single and the winnings go to the Specialist Cancer Hospital in South Manchester. So it's a great cause. So fingers crossed uh, we can add some more money to the pot. So first up, David Mooney has put his predictions forward. He's gone for a 4-0 win against Burnley in the FA Cup. That is 6-1, which means £60 could be added into the pot. Jonathan? Your I, prediction for Burnley? I'm going to go for 3-0, Sam. 3-0 is 5-1, to one, which means £50 could be going in there. Jack? 4-1 uh, to Man City. To Man City is 12-1, to one, uh, which means £120 mm. could be uh, going in there. Fingers crossed for You're that welcome. one. welcome. Looking at Newcastle on Tuesday night, Mooney's predicted a 3-0 City win, which is 6-1 to one with William Hill. £60 could be going into the pot. Jonathan? I'm going to do... I am going to go for 2-0, Sam. 2-0 is 5-1. to one. So, once again, £50 could be going into the pot. And Jack? 1-0. Uh, 1-0 one nil. One nil is 7-1, to one, which means £70 could be going in there. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. For more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. The Blue Moon Podcast Best Bits. I've known Kevin since 1975, and he'd always said to me then that you'd never stay longer than five years. So when uh, he signed his contract for Manchester City, it was a, I think it was either a four- or five-year contract. Um, and t- one time, when we the first couple of years, when David Bernstein uh, saw how well we were doing, and he came to me and said, oh, we should talk to Kevin about extending his contract. I said, David, he won't. Kevin knows what he can do. Kevin was a short-term, short-term um, motivator, and that's what we needed at the time. You know, Joe got relegated back down to the... To the first division, and we had financially, because we we backed uh, people in the in the market financially, very similar to when we got relegated to the second division. We had one year to get out, otherwise it'd be literally a fire sale. We'd have to start selling players because the finances wouldn't take two years at the, at the second division, and then after the Premiership in the first division. So we had one more year to get out, and we needed someone to move us fast. And then Kevin done that, and then Kevin got to a level where. Kevin needs to churn players. He knows himself. If you look at his record, he needs to buy players, move them on. And and we didn't have any more money to churn for Kevin. He had a, a disappointing season. He lost his right-hand man, who uh, Arthur Cox, who'd left uh, through retirement. And, uh, you know, he knew, and I know he knew, and I spoke to him, that he, he, his time would come to an end. He'd done, he'd done what he could, and he'd be remembered extremely well for what he'd achieved. The first division, the way we got promoted, and the first year in the, in the, the, the uh, Premiership, it was terrific. Um, the style of football uh, was just what Manchester City was all about. And then when Stuart Pearce, um, uh, when Kevin left, Stuart, we gave Stuart the interim job from the February, I think it was, just to uh, see get us to the end of the season because, you know, rules and regulations, you can't approach any um, other club's manager without approval from the chairman. It was, so we said, let's look at Stuart. And, but Kevin did have reservations about Stuart being a, being a manager because I'd seen him work as a coach. And, and Stuart, as, as anybody would admit, was very intense. And sometimes that's not the ideal um, characteristic to have as a manager. You've got to be a bit more relaxed, a bit more um, understanding of and managing of people. Um, and as it happens, nearly to the end of the season, Nelly's got, Nelly got us in Europe. If Robbie Fowler hadn't missed a penalty in the last game of the season against Middlesbrough, we would have been in Europe. So that would have been a real, a real boost. So we decided to give, because the response from the support has been fantastic, we decided to give Stuart... The, the head coach's job. Hi, good afternoon. This is Dennis Stewart calling, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Hear the full interview on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Unfortunately, we've come to the final part of this week's episode of the Blue Moon Podcast. It is all about you. You get your questions in for our panel on Ask the Panel. If you want to do so for next week, drop us a tweet at Blue Moon Podcast or you can email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. Nick Robinson has emailed in, how much of a blow is it for City to miss out on Frankie de Jong? And is there a wider concern about them not managing to get the targets in like Jorginho over the summer? Um, 
I think there is a wider concern from their point of view in that at the very top level they're not competing with the uh, Barcelona's and Pep said uh, last week or the week before that as soon as Barcelona and Real Madrid come in they simply can't can't compete uh, which will worry them um, Jorginho, Sanchez, Fred players like that they've actually kind of dodged a bullet to a certain degree haven't they but I suppose that's not really the point because they were all players that they wanted to sign mm. um, third ha, f- really dodged a bullet I mean it's hard to tell because would Pep have them playing differently would he have improved them these are the questions maybe, that you have yeah. to ask you know yeah. I say maybe, almost definitely, or almost certainly. Um, so they're going to have to, obviously, going to have to move on with the, from with the Fernandinho replacement now. Um, but the players, the other players that they've been linked with and that they're watching, are not in the same bracket as De Jong, which just. I mean, you look at kind of Neves, and I know that they kind of see Neves as an exceptionally consistent player, but also realise that he's just not in the same league as De Jong and mm. De, Jong was re- De Jong was really the, the one they, they yeah, were desperate for in the one, th- one thing that I certainly certainly get from the transfers that City make is they don't just buy sort of ready-made players that can slot in easily that'll be consistent and they know will be, be good they also buy potential as well don't they so they'll buy the the young players that are Got so much potential in him. Riyad Mahrez, for example, I know he was consistent. He was very, very good at Leicester, but he still had that. You know, has got that potential to reach that next level compared to, you know, another player that they could have bought for a significant amount less. Mm. There's, I think, there's an element of kind of resale with resale value of most of the players they sign. Mm. Um, I would, dis- I would, sorry, but I would disagree with you slightly on Mahrez. I think Mahrez has probably hit his ceiling. Um, and they bought a they bought a ready they did buy a ready made player. That do you not think he'd, he'd improve in a in a city team if he got a good run in? You know he managed to really suit the system and played with those players around him. Do you not think that'd improve him anymore? I mean, John might think differently, but I think he's quite one one dimensional. Well, one dimensional. That's a big in no in in obviously not. I mean, in terms of city, he's quite. <laughs> You play him on the right hand side of a front three. You can't play him anywhere else. So in that sense, I mean, you look at all the other, some of the other attacking players they've got. The kind of interchangeable, the Sane and Sterling are swapping wings. Jesus can come out if he needs to. Aguero right, runs the lines. Mares is pigeonholed as a right winger that cuts inside and will float decent crosses in and score. Um, score very. Um, very good goals and kind of consistently, but doesn't have the same kind of edge or X factor that some of the others do. John, just going back to the the question of you know, is are you concerned about City not managing to to get their key targets in? I think there's I think there's some some things which are, are more important than football, Sam. And um, I think it's I think it's come to our attention that this is your last show, and I think that's I think we should really talk about that. Uh, all your years of service over the years and it, it's very sad to see you go and the, I don't think we can let you go without listening to some of your best bits really I'm the, currently the social secretary at the Ashton Underline Supporters Club um, I've been, I'm a massive blue I've been following City you know, all my life uh, I've had a season ticket since the main road days and I, I try to get to as many away games as I can. Here comes the action Here comes at last Lord, give me a reaction Lord, give me a chance we met these American guys, and uh, they were telling us, oh, there's an, uh, there's an army base just around the corner, an American army base. They do, like, desk work for the army, the American army, and they're here on a conference because there's, like, a massive hotel complex on the base. So we we kept on drinking with them and stuff like that, and anyway, it, was, it got to about midnight, and everywhere was shutting up because it was only a little small town. So they said to us, oh, um, 
you know, we've got a hotel bar. Do you fancy, fancy coming back and having a few more drinks? So I was just like, yeah, yeah, go on then. Why not? <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, we went, got in a taxi and turned the corner and, yeah, this is a massive NATO base, American <laughs> Army base. Barbed wire, you know, 15-foot fences all around it and what have you. And um, we got to the gate, had to get our passports out and show them to the... Um, the American Army uniformed guys with guns and stuff like that and woke up on Thursday morning and I just like popped my head up and I was like where am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> I turned I, I turned over and uh, the, the, the balcony the curtains are open and this big massive German mountains there I was like this wasn't my hotel room Oh, I was going to say before we started this actually that it is an honour to be on here to be with you David who is an esteemed <laughs> esteemed writer known across City's fan base as being one of the, the finest writers of football and to be with you Sam who is the man who drives the smallest roadworthy vehicle in the UK <laughs> I think, I think it, it, you know you are both famous for, for very different things but, you, but you're both famous nonetheless so it is an, it's a pleasure to be here and on vocals and yes on the trumpet it's Sam Rosbottom as the Blue Moon Podcast band play you out with Blue Moon we'll see you next season Blue Moon, you saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart, without a love of my After signing the striker in 2011, City went quiet in the January transfer window. They made goalkeeper Costel Pantimilion loan. Pantilimon. They made goalkeeper Costel Pantimilion. Pantilimon. Pantilimon. Costel Pantilimon. Costel Pantilimon. After signing the striker in 2011, City went quiet in the January window. They made goalkeeper Costel Pantilimon loan. Costel Pantilimon's loan. They made goalkeeper Costel Pantilimon's loan permanent in 2012. Oh, come on. Costel Pantilimon's loan. Costel Pantilimon's loan permanent in 2012. They made goalkeeper Costel Pantimil... Pantimilion! After signing the striker in 2011, City went quiet in the January window. They made goalkeeper Costel Pantimil... After... They made goalkeeper Costel Pantilimon's loan permanent in 2012, along with bringing in David Pizarro on loan, but there was nothing else on the incoming front until Manuel Pellegrini was in charge in 2015. Nailed it. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. Yes, John, far more pressing things indeed. Excellent. That was a real real tearjerker, that. Costel Pantilimon. Look at that. Nailed it. After all those years. Um, yes, it is my final show for the, the time being, but it's it's not a goodbye, just more of a, a see you later. I'm off to a few new pastures new. Um, but hopefully I'll be guest appearing every now and then and, and maybe hosting a, a you know an episode or, or two. Oh, that's good to hear. Excellent. In the future. So, fingers crossed. But well, it's been a pleasure to, work, it's to been uh, a, be on, on the podcast with you so many times. It's been a bloody privilege. Yep. Um, and it's really nice to see how far everybody's come on since those very, <laughs> very early days of me going to all the home games and as many away games as I can get to. Is the trumpet going with you to London? <sighs> you know what? I've not packed it yet. Mm. I'm going to take it I down eventually. It. Yeah. Was it Sonia in EastEnders out of the trumpet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, unfortunately, that is it for this week's episode of the Blue Moon Podcast. Do get your questions in for Ask the Panel at Blue Moon Podcast or you can email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. We were talking uh, before all of that, you know, pomp and circumstance about uh, transfers. That is exactly what we are talking about on the patron special this week. Uh, so make sure you check that out, talking about all cities' uh, dealings in the past and... Are they going to be doing any business 
between now and the end of the, uh, the transfer window on Thursday. Find out on the Patreon. Uh, for full details, go to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Once again, thank you to my wonderful studio guest, Daily Mail's Jack Gorm. Thank you very much, mate. And ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Thanks a lot. And thank you, and I'll see you later. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.